1: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. The Eras Tour has begun. It's the first tour in five years from Taylor Swift. It looks like every night of this tour is going to be 44 songs over three hours, and we wanted to give you a sense of what to expect. To help us do that, I have Britney Spanos and Weiss Aramesh with me. Britney and I were not lucky enough to be at the opening concert of the Eris Tour, but Weiss, you were. Brittany and I experienced it only through TikToks and YouTube. We had to spoil a lot of the show for ourselves just for the sake of this episode. I hope everyone is sufficiently grateful for that. Spoiled the whole set list, everything. But Weiss, you experienced it. You wrote a great piece on her website that everyone can check out for you what were the biggest surprises of the show itself the biggest thing was the three hours
0: thing i've never seen anything like that 30 minutes before she even went on there had been people on twitter saying that it might be like three hours and 15 minutes people really want that to be the case and she has such a broad discography and they want her to do all this music but i don't know how sustainable that is for a pop star to do that on a stadium tour when she's doing back-to-back nights and I just I, I didn't think that that was gonna be a thing and then we're halfway through the show she's five eras in and it's already like 9 <laughs> 37 and I'm like wow no she's really gonna do all of this and it's not like yeah are there breaks that are carefully crafted to give her some time off and or give her some time to do outfit changes sure but it's not like she's playing a movie for 20 minutes I've been to shows where some artists will just do crowd work or something gimmicky for a long period of time where it's like, okay, well, your two hour set isn't really a two hour set. It's more an hour and 40 minute set. So to see someone at her
1: caliber go for that long. Yeah. Brittany and I were talking about the other people who've done three hour shows. And I tweeted sleepily on Saturday talking about this and said, McCartney, Springsteen, the cure and then people reminded me of a million other people most recently bad bunny just did it a lot of them are classic rock type acts who have huge catalogs pearl Jam, rush whether fish counts because i guess they play multiple sets Brittany, i think this is proof that taylor is classic rock
2: yeah i mean also i mean it's all different kinds of like physicality too i mean tours are physically demanding right that's already no matter what kind of artist you are it's going to be a huge toll on your body whether you're like holding a heavy instrument playing the drums things like that but also if you're dancing if you're doing that we don't see it as much in pop music because just the with the dancing and the alpha changes stuff like that it's typically like pretty hard to do and so it's kind of wild especially because taylor is as an artist like at an intersection where she is doing the full-on pop choreo but she also has these slowed down acoustic moments she's like playing the piano during the show she's doing all these things it's it's such a a big production that way so it is i was also very surprised to see that she was going to do that long of a show because her shows are already such an over-the-top extravaganza with showing all those different sides of her but to have that was it's pretty incredible
0: i love that clip of her leaving the show in her sweatpants i think on night two i was like you
1: you earned and her like essential water i was like you earned that you, <laughs> you head back to that hotel <laughs> One final outfit change into Sweatpants. That's the final era is the Sweatpants era of the night. <laughs> so it is, of course, the Eras tour. And the way it works that I think is really clever and unique and really yeah. works with the fact that she has f- these four albums to tour with that she didn't have before, which, of course, is a Lover, Folklore, Evermore, and Midnights. And, and the original plan, she never got to play just the Lover shows. So this is that plus three albums more plus her whole catalog so so weiss how did it work for you to have it broken up it started with a six song lover segment and then went through the different eras how did that sort of breakup work for you
0: i i love that you started with lover especially since i remember having my my lover fest tickets and a lot of people feel like they they missed out by by not seeing that incredible album i think that miss americana being the opening song
3: no, i adore you. I'm crazy.
0: I remember I told my friend that a 16 seed had upset Purdue, a number one seed in the March Madness tournament. <laughs> and I was like, is that more likely or is Miss Americana being the first song more likely? Because that came out of left field for me. And then for her to do Cruel Summer and for the fans to react the way they did was was awesome. When it comes to the different... I, I had written that it was... I had always compared her shows to like Broadway shows, but it's it's so true this time around because she made it so obvious when we were leaving one era and and the visuals are impactful and and they really make you feel like you are being taken to to something else entirely which i think is is very cool it's very it plays in heavily into the nostalgia and and it's crowd work in a sense when people feel like they're leaving like the Lever era, and they're going to folklore, and on the screen, there's trees that grow out of nowhere, and, and the <laughs> mood changes, and everything becomes a lot cooler, and the color blocking's different, which I think it makes for a very immersive experience. I also like that she didn't really go in order. It mm. felt It felt mm. like... You you didn't know what was coming next. Whereas if she had gone in order, also just song order wise, that might have been a little tough. You could tell that Midnight's was gonna be last, and and I really liked that f- that Lover was first. The the one Speak Now song <laughs> it, is heavy on my heart because I I love love that album. But yeah, no, it was it was very cool that the the vibe and the color blocking and the feel and the light everything was so different for each
1: era. Britney wanted a slightly longer concert because a couple albums were robbed of full eras.
2: <laughs> Where's the four hour concert, yeah. Taylor?
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly, she's slow. <laughs> yeah,
2: listen, we could have, Bad Blood, we could have lost it and we could have put in, put a little like sparks fly. I'm interested is, that you
0: say that. Is there, I want to hear about the songs that you think could have been swapped out for the ones okay. that weren't.
2: We could have done only two reputation songs, so that was the last tour we had. But I am very happy to see Don't Blame Me, I will say. Mm. That one I was very thrilled to see that was still in the set list. Also could have taken out maybe like 22 and I knew your trouble, but it looks like I knew your trouble was shortened. I else. I'm
0: stunned she did Marjorie.
2: Never be so kind. You forget to be clever.
0: And that's a great track, but I was, she was playing up there
2: and I was like... You have no complaints about Folklore and Evermore because I feel like I did not Think that she was going to do as much of those in the stadium context. Right. That was my big concern was that those wouldn't fit in. Before we knew that she was separating the concert by album and having space for each each era, I was really worried that we wouldn't get a lot of those songs because they are slower. They're a lot more acoustic, mm-hmm. very much compared to We Are Never Getting Back Together. It's a little bit of an energy shift. So I was very happy to see that those had space. But yeah, I would have I would have maybe cut out a little bad blood, cut out vigilante shit. Even though I I have defended that song. Some
3: bad things but I'm the worst of them Sometimes I wonder which one will be your yeah.
1: life. Well, Weiss, I heard that, and this is interesting, this is the difference between looking at the set list and being like, ugh, why, but actually being there, I heard yeah. that vigilante shit, despite the fact that there was, there was a big Gen Z backlash against vigilante shit, that somehow it's the corniest millennial thing ever or whatever, there was a big thing about that, <laughs> they're like, cat's eye makeup is out of style, come on, Taylor. What I understand is that actually was performance-wise a real high point, was it for you? Oh my god, yeah like it's Passing. i like the song it's not my favorite song but the performance
0: she's wearing this oscar the bodysuit she's got the chairs set up she's got the dancers it was it was it was like mouths open like i turned to my buddy and i was like holy it was a real there, there are some songs that i feel lend themselves super hard to a stadium show and that yeah. kind of performance kind of like don't blame me when she's hitting the the high note there and She's on, it's just like such a a, a big moment. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, was, I was surprised by how much I, I really, really liked that song in that environment.
1: A couple things about the era's concept in general, which is two things. I think, Brittany, one of the things I'm convinced of is that one of the reasons she chose to do it that way was because of exactly what you're talking about. How do you incorporate folklore in Evermore without slowing down the concert? And... One of the ways to do it is definitely to settle into them so that people know yeah. that, okay, this is that part. There was that question, like, is are these albums just going to stand as this wonderful thing that never really comes to life on stage? And instead, there's parts where she's sitting down and has the backup singers around her, and it's just really reveling in the more laid-back folklore evermore thing but i did want to say just the entire idea of the eras so the whole concept of the pop star era the idea that you have one album and that defines your look and your aesthetic and both visually and sonically and then you wipe the boards and start with the next album that is something that pop stars have been doing at least since madonna or maybe even since the beatles but the enshrinement of that concept of the era is very much a thing, to my knowledge, created by fans online. So mm-hmm. I love Taylor being the most online pop star we've ever had, maybe besides Grimes, who practically is the internet, obviously is just, again, showing off how aware she is of the way fans see this stuff, Brittany.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's also because she's had such such musical shifts, too. Absolutely. Like she eras as a concept is so new still in music and I I think really came from like the word eras came from sort of Katy Perry, Lady Gaga era of like pop stardom and fandom where the idea was that you had to shift tonally, completely between albums and like shifted character between albums. Whereas Taylor never really did that for a long time. Like she wasn't, she, between Fearless and Speak Now, it was just the, the color shift between Speak Now and Red. That was, but she was changing genres over the course of it. And that is a big part of it because we are seeing the very slow, but intentional shift from country star to pop star between her first four albums. And then once she she hits her pop music, mode she is being more intentional about creating a universe around who she is in that moment with that album with the pop music so it's not only a a nod to what she's done as a pop star since 1989 where she's gone from brand new new yorker to goth electro clash taylor and reputation to the bright rainbows of lover then to the very kind of woodsy aesthetics of folklore and evermore back to big pop i don't know i don't even know how to describe minutes but yeah, I feel like it's also a nod to the fact that she was changing genres between each album and or not the first four, like slowly changing from country to pop and making that transition. So those were eras in a way and were this moment that she was marking as she was getting older in her career. And
1: the other sign, it's never been any doubt that she's extremely online, but she made that comment on stage wise about about Evermore and how she oh, knows, yeah. <laughs> she knows <laughs> that fans have decided amongst themselves as she said with very little to no evidence that somehow she wasn't fond of evermore that she forgets about evermore yeah and i saw on, on night two she even expanded on that she was like yeah like you said like where
0: is your evidence i didn't wish <laughs> it a happy birthday i don't wish my real life friends a happy birthday on the
1: internet yeah. someone pointed out that she did in fact wish folklore a happy birthday so that's where this <laughs> came from she doesn't know her own social posts as well as her fans yeah. do
2: so. It was the folklore thing and also she, the Grammys for Folklore versus Evermore both were nominated for Album of the Year and like Evermore. She just kind of like dropped a TikTok and then never spoke about the Grammy nomination ever again.
1: <laughs> as far as missing songs, I mean, I do, I'm a big, quiet paper rings proponent. And I think that would really go off live and of course it's still... Has never been played live i i do miss that one but she picked the hits and should have been hits of lover and i did want to say the the washington post emily yard the washington post made a great point about cruel summer
3: bad, bad boy, price, you know
1: right. and weiss maybe can speak to this whether it felt like this is she said that when she played that it was sort of a reminder of course of the fact that everyone that's the hit the single that should have been, it, it actually, we've talked about this before, but it actually did become a huge streaming hit without her ever pushing it due to various TV shows and just the quality of the song. But it it never was released as a single. There never was a video. And it should have been one of her biggest songs. And of course, and then the summer of 2020, of course, was an incredibly cruel summer. And then when she played that, all that felt embedded in it. And that was part of the crowd's response. Did you feel that yeah so
0: at one point she paused before the bridge and i think and she looked around and she was like do you guys want to do this together and it was really like i think a show that she knows how much that song means to some people and and how high of a regard in her discography they hold it but it was it was very cool to see her do that to to have everyone ready and then as she walks down the catwalk and and to people react the way they did and I, i think that could be said about a lot of the lover songs like I said getting to see them since what was it twenty nineteen and and how long it's been I will say I am the archer stan I know yeah. that mm-hmm. that is not like
3: the oh, flashiest
0: no. song till but it means, means very the world. below the tongue yeah that song means the world to me I've
3: been the archer I've been the prey.
0: and mm. I would have put a million dollars on that song not being anywhere near the set list before i showed up (laughs) same You, you have all these like flashy songs on lover that lend themselves right to the live experience and so to see that song and and for her to take the time to do it she did the almost the, i was like oh is she not gonna do the bridge because that line about all oh, my enemies. i was like oh like that would have been cool and she did the bridge and so to see that that was was really awesome and i think that for a lot of people there was a ton of moments like that in the set oh i didn't think she was good like i said marjorie maybe someone's like the biggest ever fan of that song and so to see her do that song they're like wow or last great american dynasty rebecca
3: rode up on the afternoon House on
0: the- was another one. I was like, Oh, I'm surprised she's doing this. I love that song. That song's awesome. But I actually saw a TikTok of this girl who dressed up as the green dog in that song, <laughs> and she was, <laughs> and she was belting that song out. No one's business. And I was like, I no. am so glad for that girl.
1: Yeah. Okay. Can I just say that is brilliant, and that person should get some kind of <laughs> national medal. That is so genius.
2: The great costume. That's
1: so funny
0: oh my god (laughs) the costumes were crazy there was a lot of the obvious ones right like sequence and pink fur and and mirrorball and then i saw one girl dressed as a house like the the lover's house there was a lot of just straight up clocks it was yeah people they've had time and and people are very very creative
1: what were some of the most impressive staging moments? I know there's one moment when she appears to dive into water and swim swim through the stadium.
0: Yeah, that was weird because we were on the uh, not to sound annoying about, it, but we were on the floor, so it was weird to see. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, apologies. <laughs> but there was trying to, there there was a lot of of cool moments. Obviously, the vigilante shit was was so impressive the, the way she came out was you had these dancers come out with these they looked almost like peacocks and they had these huge pieces of fabric behind them and obviously you have to fill a stadium like that and i've seen stadium shows where it's maybe this was better as an arena tour just because you know if if you're on the floor great but if you're in section 425 you still need to feel like you're part of the show and you're not like on the outside looking in I think that she's always been really, really good at that. No real B stage this year, which on she's obviously done that in the past. Although the catwalk did go far enough to the point where, you know, I, I think everyone might have gotten their time's worth. But maybe some people were disappointed that she didn't do that. I, I didn't mind it. But yeah, yeah, she's, she's always, like I wrote in my thing, it's always like a giant spectacle when it comes to her
1: yeah the the bit in anti-hero where she was the monster on a hill behind herself that was that seemed cool (laughs) yeah how did that come off
0: yeah it's dope honestly you could have spent that entire song just watching like the monster behind her just
1: make facial expressions as she moves around the stage yeah that was that was sick and what what songs is in their live renditions musically because sometimes she rearranges them sometimes they get more exciting what kind of really stuck out maybe a new approach or just besides vigilante shit what came off live better than you could have ever expected it i, I love the way
0: she introduced the man she was like oh i'm feeling so powerful i'm feeling this i'm feeling i feel like a man and then she was wearing this versace bodysuit and then she put a suit jacket over it and then as she was going through the set when she was singing it there was a point where she kicked her feet up and exposed some red bottoms and i was like that is such like a boss move and obviously the crowd reacted appropriately that is not a musical moment (laughs) no that was that was something for yeah it was it was dope champagne proms i i like the way she delivered the bridge at the at the piano she looked so intense and you can just feel the emotion of that song because you know that's obviously sad happy there's such a range in her music but that That bridge, it's so biting, and you can tell it. And the way she translated it to that moment was incredible.
1: I saw a clip. She was amused at how insane the crowd was going for Champagne Problems, (laughs) because it's not inherently a giant crowd-pleasing song.
3: You booked the night train for a reason, so you could sit there.
1: That, was was that evident to you in the moment that people were just going completely nuts for that song? Yeah, I'll listen,
0: I'll be lowbrow for a second. It's fun to hear her curse. Um I've <laughs> I've been a fan of hers for since I was young and since she was not. And I remember when Midnight's Tracklist came out and I saw a couple of E's on Spotify and I was like, oh hell yeah. Like talk your talk your stuff, Taylor. I think that's that's part of it, and people love yelling certain lines. Yeah, people reacted very strongly to it and i think because of how biting of a song oh i was also surprised that tolerate it made it
3: Lay the table with the fancy shit, and watch you
0: tolerate it is one of her saddest songs and mm-hmm. to see her play out that episode of having dinner with someone who she's given so much to and has not really gotten anything in return. It was nice to see that translated into live experience.
2: I think also post All Too Well 10 Minute, we're in a moment of both because of All 10 Minute and Folklore and Evermore's success. I feel like there has been a, a newfound respect and appreciation from even more casual Taylor fans and Taylor listeners for the really intense emotional aspect of her music. Like, I, mm. I think that was used against her very often, the idea that she was writing these heartbreak songs, these really, really sad songs at times in her career. Mm. And especially when she was a country artist before she moved into synth pop and was making Shake It Offs and Look What You Made Me Do. She, those songs weren't her hits and they weren't the, the songs that made her famous and made her really successful but the fans like the really true fans really loved those songs that's why all too well had such a deep fan lore for it and was so beloved by people and i think for more casual fans or people who even didn't really like her that much before folklore and evermore was a window into her songwriting into kind of the the really intense emotional nature of her songs that can really cut deep and made her enjoyable for a lot of people and the the resurgence of All Too Well, especially, again, as, as the 10-minute version. I think this is the set list as it is and having that focus and putting the, like, saddest songs from evermore and folklore like illicit affairs is in there i, I could not believe <laughs> illicit affairs was in there <laughs> like i was just i was so shaken that that's in there i'm not going to be well for any part of that
3: and that's the thing about illicit affairs and clandestine meetings and longing but i
2: think it's it's such a testament to the fact that People have come back around and the things that she was judged for, the things that people who weren't really listening closely before felt like were her weaknesses are her strengths and a big part of it. The fact that you can play a stadium and have so many ballads in it and have so many like really deeply sad ballads in it is such a testament to how big she is now like she doesn't need those big pop moments obviously those make it a fun show but she can balance both those aspects of it like she's doing all too all well, ten-minute version in fool because she has to that was a number one hit she can't do it like it's mm. become too big to exclude and that's the fun part about where she's at as an artist right now too
0: i will say when it comes to folklore she sandwiched it between red and 1989 which Mm -hmm. i thought was smart because you can feel like these are obviously incredible songs but there there wasn't obviously that jump around energy during like my tears
3: ricochet
0: and then when you when you left we are never getting back together and i knew you were trouble and she did obviously all too well which i think might have been my favorite moment in the show because of the snow that came down and it, it it was done really well. And it looked absolutely incredible with you looked up and you're in an NFL stadium and you see like you, the sky quote unquote, and it's just filled with quote snow. And it just, it was an, a beautiful moment. And then for her to go into folklore after that, and then you had three or four songs that they're they're incredible, but they are slower pace. And then she hops back into it with style and then blank space. And you know how incredible of an album that is so yeah i thought that was a very smart decision but
1: weiss we should stay on all too well for just a second sure. the it, it has become yes emo taylor is now universally recognized to be the best taylor and and again when she when 55 percent of the entire american public is now saying they're a taylor swift fan she <laughs> can literally do whatever she wants at her concert and but All Too Well is an alternate national anthem in certain segments at this point. So tell me about the impact of, here we have the first tour in quite some time, the first tour since All Too Well 10-Minute Version became this huge thing. Tell me about the impact of that moment and that song in the stadium that night. I don't want to sound corny, but it does not
0: feel like a 10-minute song. Like that <laughs> feels like a when, when you hear it and when you're singing it, that feels like a four-minute song tops because of incredible it is how much you, the words tumble out of you when you're singing it. I think it's it's always fun to hear how much louder the crowd gets when the newer verses come out because people are very excited to sing those. So like she'll do the chorus and then it'll, and you were grabbing the car keys, fuck the patriarchy and everyone gets super, super loud. And it's, it's really dope to see that. And then it's such a long song, but at, at no point is there like a lull. In that song, people in in the same way that they were so excited to sing "Cruel Summer" and so excited to be part of that as a live experience, I think the same can be said for that song.
2: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app.
1: A couple things. First of all, we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast over the past couple of years. There's this general sense that some concert behavior has devolved a bit post-pandemic, and perhaps there are especially younger concertgoers who missed out on learning the rules of how to behave at concerts. And from what I'm hearing, there was a bit of that at this show, although most Swifties, I'm sure, behave themselves impeccably. There was a bit, there was a TikTok where someone said, bragged about streaking at quote, the top of their lungs, quote, throughout the concert and was mad that people told her to shut up. What happened was everyone kind of duetted with her and said, no, you're the problem, the problem is you. I did see some, I saw some videos of people being carted off out of the concert in part after disputes with other concert guards, which is fairly typical. But I do get the sense there was a bit of that. Were you cognizant of any of that, Wes? It's weird because it's a line that you have to toe between wanting people to have
0: a, a terrific time and I love like singing loudly obviously as we all do at concerts but then I, I think there's it's sometimes tough to explain with words what's right and what's wrong in that situation but you know it when you hear it right if if you are doing something that is affecting most of the people around you i think that that's a sign i didn't experience that personally the only grip i had was the row behind me like hearing illicit affairs and going what's this and i'm like to, to a song that's like super like dark and, and well-written To I didn't experience anything like that. I didn't see any costumes like tens at the Oscars where like the person behind you like was absolutely cooked. But yeah, I, I think for the most part, people behave themselves. It's so funny when you're going to have a crowd of 70,000
1: people and you, you want people to be on their best behavior. Brittany, you said you saw some discourse that was a little odd about a certain very small subsection of fans who are who think that a tour is all about interaction. They thought, obviously, on the yeah. Harry Styles tour, there's tons of interaction, people holding up funny or raunchy signs and him remarking on it, and that's the whole thing. But that's never been Taylor's thing, and for some people, they seem to expect that somehow.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a shift in pop shows and some people blamed it on the idea of not having shows for a couple of years. And I, I don't know. I think the behavior at a lot of shows prior to 2020 was still like getting a little wacky. Um, hmm. But there is this expectation of going to a show to be seen or to, to get the attention of the artist in some way. And I, again, this isn't all f- pop fans. This isn't everyone. There is definitely a little bit of that happening. You know, I think a lot of there's been discourse in the Harry fandom over it because people bring really increasingly insane signs that they want him to see. They are trying to get attention for their costumes, things like that, in ways that are being annoying to the attendees, blocking them with their signs, blocking them with their costumes, things like that. And there was a little bit of something because Taylor's past tours, she's, she's done a lot of fan meet and greets, and she would pull people from the crowd who had really fun outfits and bring them backstage to meet her. She had the rep room on the last tour, all of that. And a lot of people were expecting that to happen, even though she didn't do secret sessions the way that she's done in the past, for for midnights even. A lot of those things are gone, and being realistic, it wasn't going to happen. Her mom is immunocompromised. Taylor's been very COVID-cautious a lot. It was very interesting to see people be genuinely disappointed, and even a couple of people, pretty angry about not having that option, which is this, that shouldn't be the end-all be-all or reason why you're going to a concert, especially a concert that ended up costing people a lot of money to get to in the first place because of the craziness of the Ticketmaster sales and the resales and things like that. A lot of people flew out to Glendale to go see her. It's about the shared experience and she's performing for three hours, which is such a special thing to get to perform, get, to get to experience that from ideally your favorite artist is a pretty magical thing to have. So it was very, very fascinating to see especially younger fans who hadn't seen her on past tours get really upset about not having that option which is already so rare it's not like she brings back hundreds of people for that but even then it's like this expectation that you're owed that that meet and greet at a concert is a little little weird
0: yeah i feel like that's super like weirdo energy especially <laughs> when she's doing like a mm-hmm. three-hour set it's such a huge production she's in my opinion, always been a very meticulous person. Everything is planned down to the letter. Oh um, yeah, and and <laughs> no. to it's it's not Harry Styles at the garden. It's not like a, a big hang. She's in my opinion, she's putting on this giant. Like I, I regret to keep bringing up Broadway, but it's why I, I understand why she wouldn't want to introduce variables that she can't control by just heading out and just shooting the shit and looking at people's signs and talking to them on stage. And as for the backstage stuff. It didn't even cross my mind that that was going to still be a thing. It was an incredible thing that she did for her fans. It's something that very few artists at her level Mm -hmm. uh, did. But yeah, I think people that are upset about that type of thing, frankly, need to touch grass. I don't even know how you're upset with her after seeing a three-hour stadium show that
1: she has to go do again the next night. I think it's good to talk about Taylor's meticulousness because it does feel like this show is one of the ultimate expressions of that. Her, her meticulousness and her planning and her work ethic. I've never been a natural. All I, do, all I do is try and try. Of course, she is a natural too. Sorry, Taylor. The extent of the effort and the extent to which clearly the whole pandemic. She's been thinking about this piece by piece and building it up and the staging for each song, and just to have forty-four songs when when some of these classic rock people, when a Springsteen or McCartney plays almost that many songs or that many songs bruce has i think every song doesn't have choreography and a specific video and a specific staging for it they just kind of play the songs i would bet that was all evident the amount of thought and effort that went into this Why? Wise- oh absolutely
0: yeah and you could also tell it being night one there was a couple things that's oh i'm sure that if i'm Lucky enough to win a scratch off lottery and I get MetLife's tickets. I'm sure that I'll see those tweaks made, like where she says her lines. Like you could you can see like the gears almost turning in her head. But sure. in terms of like the choreography and the sets and the the blocking, big big ups the stage manager, because I'm sure that was that was a ton of work in, in rehearsals. Like I said, it's not X person just walking around and doing crowd work everything is is timed out so well it's so i i understand why she does the the things that she does the way she does them and it it makes for a show that's that's very well-rounded that's an enjoyable experience it doesn't feel like it's dragging if you love the
1: songs etc etc Brittany, i wonder if you could take us through the evolution of taylor live that got us here
2: obviously she was on the country circuit she was opening for rascal flats and keith urban and a lot of those artists but once she started doing her headlining tour, that theatricality that weiss brought up it was a big part of it you think of the speak now tour and she's in this kind of fairy tale type set she's wearing a lot of gowns like the, of course like the the purple holter gown is the very iconic image of it and there's like an intimacy to it too right like the idea that she's still mostly doing sort of the songs with just her and the guitar on that tour. She has a lot of nods to other songs, like these hidden messages on her arms throughout that. And of course, the production has gotten more elaborate over the course of uh, over the course of these tours. 1989 was like a very, maybe like the most straightforward, just like a sleek production versus the kind of circusy, costumey element of Red. And then Reputation comes out and there's all the snakes. It's very, that was the first tour I had gone on was gone to see was Reputation. With all the, the giant snakes everywhere for that and the very like goth dark production of it.
1: Up until 1989, she pretty much I don't know about every song, but she was holding the guitar and being more the singer, songwriter, country star than the pop star. It was with 1989 when she fully started to embrace everything, the choreography, the outfits, a little bit more as yeah. a pop star. Yeah.
2: Cause it was also there's still, I think, of the my favorite live video of hers is when she's doing we are never getting back together on the 1989 tour and it's like her and the electric guitar oh my god yeah so it's such a one of the best things that i've ever seen (laughs) but those It was really still so much about the kind of countryness of where she was coming from. But again, like Speak Now and Red were experimenting with what it would look like for her to do choreo and do the more stage thing. And she is she is very dramatic and she brings that into the songs. The songs are these narratives. These songs have these storylines in it. It made sense for Speak Now era to have this like kind of fairy tale, like the big dramatic staircase and all that stuff that she was doing for that album even while she's still doing the very singer-songwriter-y country star girl in a guitar mode but 1989 reputation were the real big pop production tours that we got from her those are the ones where she's really focusing on her as a as like a dancer she's focusing on the kind of the bigness of the actual show itself to really drive home that she's in her pop star era.
0: I love that acoustic set that she did. It was two songs for my night. It was Mirabal and then Tim McGraw. And she had said that she was not gonna go back to those songs and and try to switch it up every night, which I saw the discourse on that on Twitter where people see their ultimate favorite song being played and they're very sad that they won't there won't be that at their show, yeah. But, but I think it, I think it makes it very special. I think that's that's really dope.
2: So for the other tours too, Red and and Nineteen Eighty Nine were really interesting tours because to really drive home again the fact that she's getting number one, she's like a big pop star, even. With red sort of being the transition out of country, a big element of both those tours was the guest every night. Those mm-hmm. that was the the big thing was she has sometimes increasingly insane sets of special guests on <laughs> on stage with her. Like she would have she had the entire US women's soccer team at one point. She had all of her model friends from the nineteen eighty-nine era. She would perform with like goo goo dolls, she would bring out like Mary J. Blige, like she'd bring out all these people in each city. For those tours and reputation was people were surprised to see her pivot away from that and that was the first time that she had done this dedicated surprise song moment on the tour and i remember she did enchanted that was like the surprise song when i saw her in new york which i was really excited to finally hear that one live then i love that element of it versus the increasingly yeah
1: <laughs> wes what was it like to see her at this point in her career sit down and sing tim McGraw?
3: Song, the one we
0: to I think it's just a testament, obviously, how far she's come, but how she hasn't there was all this discourse about genre shifting, and in my opinion, genres mattering less and less. She still does, you know, music from when she was like 18, 19, 20 at such a high level. And it was it was so dope to see that type of song played in a stadium, if you would have told her back then, like in you know, fourteen or or however many years it's been that you were gonna play this song at a piano in the middle of where the Arizona Cardinals play. I don't I don't think she would have or maybe she would have believed you, but it was it was dope to see it. And and going back to the the special song thing, I remember I was at in MetLife, I believe for for yeah reputation it was that show where it was torrentially downpouring and she played Sparse Fly and it was the line where it's meet me in the pouring rain and and that was such a core memory that i think i'll have forever and it's that types of moments that she's able to make with fans with those special songs that she plays and i think that it's a very it's not like a unique twist plenty of other artists do that similar type of thing but it's something very special. And I, I lament when I see people like genuinely get upset that, oh, she played mirror at the show that I'm not going to see it. And it's, and it's a bummer, but yeah, going back to Tim McGraw, it was incredible to see that in that environment. Obviously she has made a career out of a touring career, at least of being able to play songs that don't, you know, maybe lend themselves better to a Webster hall than it do to a MetLife and, and still make a show of it and still have people feel like it's, it's an intimate moment, even if you are in the balcony, or the rafters, or wherever you may be.
1: The other thing, obvious thing, we didn't mention is, in addition to the four albums she's recorded since the last time she toured, she also, of course, did the Taylor's versions, and that has no doubt inevitably reconnected her to every era, even the earliest stuff. Despite her her almost, d- despite her not doing a full era for the self titled album, but I, I do think that's probably made her more comfortable in going back and doing whatever from any era. And as someone did point out, that the, the irony of Tim McGraw, she's now much more famous than Tim McGraw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> that's okay. It's funny though. That's why it's real nostalgia. It's nostalgia of when she could like when she could talk about a famous singer that way and not be more famous than almost any other famous singer. It's weird.
2: There are still so many songs that will be really, really fun and, and beautiful to hear on that small stage, the fact that she still has so many memorable songs that she can do a new one every single night of this tour is pretty remarkable and incredible on top of already doing 44 songs for three hours. So I am curious like what is going to be and I hope people are chill about it.
0: <laughs> do you guys think we will get guests or do you think that whenever there's an opener that she has a collaboration with, she'll bring them out during her set to do that collaboration or neither?
2: I don't think there are going to be very many guests. Hmm. I can see of guests happening. I wouldn't be surprised if we got The National at some point on the tour. Just her and Aaron Dessner are still working together frequently. And of course, there's the Coney Island collab on Evermore, especially seeing that there is so much Evermore. And I feel like Bon Iver too would be a really great moment. I can very much see them doing Exile on the as a surprise song. I don't think it would go beyond the people who are on the most recent albums like Phoebe Bridgers I don't know that they would do it nightly but I could see them doing it at some point as a a special song for the side stage I don't know that she's going to really do the guests as much like it seemed like she was already moving away from that but, but other than the people want to hear Exile people want to hear her and Bony Vera sing that I could see that happening at least once
0: and and no disrespect but I I that this night is again not to sound cheesy but like a celebration of her and her discography yeah. and it's it was it was an awesome moment, especially during 1989 when she was bringing out all these people. But I think for the Eras tour, like this is a celebration of her and all the music that we've listened to for the last 14 years. I'm I'm happy with that decision.
2: Yeah, and I think the 1989 guests were more of a testament to that sort of new level of star power that Mm -hmm. she was showcasing at that time
1: i guess the wild card slot would be the only slot but yeah i do not see the return of the squad that would be absolutely hilarious it would be so (laughs) incongruous at this point in 2023 to see a bunch of victoria's secret models parading across the stage it would be very confusing here in 2023
2: and here's ice spice yeah
1: exactly (laughs) never know but i will say just to conclude it is a flex that she ends with the midnight's era and ends the show. With the Midnight Sour, there's no, she doesn't go back and then play one greatest hit at the end. She had the confidence in this new material that she ends with Karma. I guess it went off pretty well. I've always thought that Karma was
0: like, one of those songs where the chorus is such like a, a joyous shout and I, I think it really goes I, I it's the type of song that kind of rings off in that type of setting and I thought it was great it was funny when she had did anti-hero in her midnight's era set i looked at my friend because we were like oh okay so anti-hero is not going to be the last song i want but and then we started theorizing like oh, I, I remember whispering like karma and it's such obviously it's it's a very popular song it's a very it's it's been on tiktok a lot and it has the kind of chorus that's like a very joyous loud you you see confetti when when you're listening to that song even if it's not there so yeah. i i think it's a, a great pick and i and yeah, I think it performed the way that she wanted it to perform at the show.
2: Also, like I, my one of my favorite things about Taylor is that she's she's petty, and that's like <laughs> I, I love that. It's just it's a relatable. I, I get it, and I do love that the the last song from the pre show playlist is "You Don't Own Me," which is so on the nose from everything that's happened since she left Big Machine, and to end with Karma, which is such a pointed yeah. <laughs> like, song about all that she's been through with her masters and with kind of being able to to own her music i think that is such a perfect sandwich for the show of leslie gore's you don't own me playing right before she goes on and then ending with karma
1: and that's our show we'll be back next week in the meantime subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. True. Brittany and Weiss, thanks so much for joining me.
2: Thank, you. thank
0: thank you guys i mean i've i've been reading you guys since before i got to to rolling stone so to be able to chop it up with you guys and, <laughs> and talk about taylor um this has been very very fun